Now, we did talk, but I didn't give him the questions. Briefly, we talked. And he said yes, but he didn't know what he was saying yes to. <laughs> and so we're in this sermon series of five practices of fruitful congregations. We have said that this is the true uh, reality for the church throughout all generations and for all parts of the world. Every culture, these five things are something that you see when a church is alive and vital and happening. These five things that we've been looking at is what we see, these practices. And so he's going to take that microphone, and uh, I'm going to ask him a couple questions today to fit in with our message. So how did you feel before you went on your first trip to Haiti? Did you have any worries or concerns? First time that you took your trip to Haiti, mission trip. Yeah. Uh, never been, right? Never been. Um, never been to Haiti. Honestly, you were spiritually tortured. Yeah. You had doubts. You had fear, nightmares. You had <laughs> um, lack of sleep. Yeah. You had, um, like I said, spiritually tortured. Yeah. Yeah. Very right. spiritually tortured. Yeah. When you were on that first trip, then, how did you feel? Once you got there? When you overwhelmed. Yeah. You saw your, every one of your senses is stimulated. You, what you see, you're trying to comprehend what you see, what you hear, what you're smelling, uh, mostly what you're seeing. Um, you felt as though you didn't deserve to be there. So what were you able to accomplish on that first trip? Uh, the first trip was up when we met the children. Um, an orphanage, by the way. Yeah, the orphanage, the orphanage, uh, Tanya's 14 children. Uh, we, we built uh, some stuff for, their, for the house for them at the time. And that was mostly what we did on the first trip. Yeah. yeah. And so how did you feel, though, after when you got home, when you returned? And how has it changed you personally? After I got home the first trip? Yeah, well, even now, too, how has it changed you? And how do you feel when you got back? Um, this last one is a little bit different. The first time you come back, it's hard to explain what. But you were, yeah, I was more blessed, you know, more blessed than I ever thought I would be. Uh, but also, just you just you were more grateful. Good. You were you're more sympathetic to those who are in need, as opposed to you know before you kind of would ignore it. Yeah. You can thank them for coming up and sharing. And we're, we're going to have that opportunity for Jeannie and Edward to share more properly. This was just fitting in with our message today. Is today uh, we're looking at the uh, point, the practice of risk-taking mission and service. 
That's what we're looking at today. We looked at radical hospitality, and that was the scripture that we use, the lover of the stranger, right, as part of radical hospitality. We looked at passionate worship, the practice of worship. We love worship. And then we talked last week about intentional faith development. Well, there's no point of all of those unless we're willing to go and do God's mission and serve. And so that's what we see here today. And thank you, Edward, for sharing a little bit. And thank you for the nightmares, because I think people need to know the reality. That's the whole point of what we're talking about today. That stepping out, that risk-taking, pushes us out of our comfort zone. Baby shower. It was 1979 in the winter months. Uh, I was 17 and gave birth to Tina, our first child. And uh, the church that I hadn't attended till I, you know, years before, had walked away from all of it. Uh, complete strangers to me. Of course, my mother was there, but maybe one or two women that I knew from my childhood. But most of the women who decided to do this were complete strangers to me. And she actually opened up her home, and her name was Maude. She opened up her home, and she invited me in. And they had this beautiful baby shower for me for our daughter, Tina. And I remember after that wonderful shower that was put on for me, this stranger, into a stranger's home, that I remember as I went home, I was hanging up all these little dresses and little outfits into Tina's closet. And I was just overwhelmed with the reality of why would people do such a thing for me? Why would people show that kind of love for me? You see... Kindness is something we see all around us, don't we? And now everybody will say, West Prince is very kind. There's a lot of kind people. They show kindness in West Prince. And so what we're talking about today is not kindness. Because there's kind people all around. See, I, I think sometimes, and I do it, I think it's the right thing to do. We think, oh, isn't he a kind gentleman? Because he held the door open for me at the bakery. Well, that's nice. That's nice. It makes life nice. But that's not what we're talking about today. There's kind people all around. And Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is it that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. So we're not talking about just being kind and loving here. We're talking about mission and service that goes above and beyond what is expected? So much so that the person says, like I did at the baby shower, why would they do this for me? And so it's not ordinary service, but extraordinary service that we're talking about. It is, you know, what's the opposite of risk-taking? Safe, predictable, comfortable, certain, convenient. And I say, boring. Did you hear me? What's the opposite of taking a risk? Safe. Predictable, comfortable, certain, convenient. Oh, some of us, that's what we want in our Christian faith. But I want to say to you, when you study about the ministry of Jesus, when you read what Jesus taught, you do not see that. You see completely the opposite. You do not see safe, predictable, comfortable, certain, and convenient. And Taverly and I have been meeting on a regular basis, and their whole life in this last year is doing this. And that's the reality of being obedient to what God is calling them to do. God messes things up before he puts some things back in the right way. And you've got to be willing to step out and take those risks. 
And so today we see that radical hospitality, passionate worship, and intentional faith development all lead to and are fueled by this willing to take a risk to do mission and service for the cause of Christ. Now here's the a positive thing as Edward was sharing, risk-taking mission and service. You know what it does? It changes us. We become changed and transformed. Not just the people who are receiving from us, not just the ones who are receiving from us, but we actually become the ones who are also changed and blessed. Jesus said it is more blessed to give, right, than to receive. And so there's this aspect today that we become changed and transformed as God begins to use us. Now, we're talking right now about overseas missions, but it is missions right at our door as well. I remember our first trips to Cuba, my, my first trips to Cuba on mission trips, and we know Haiti and Rwanda and throughout myself, Cuba, we all have these areas that are dear to our hearts because we've been there with them and we've seen it and we've tasted and we've smelled and we, you know, it's just amazing to be there with the people. And the truth of it is, it's a risk, it's costly, you step out, but as you step out, you're the one who receives the blessing. You're the one who will never be the same again because you stepped out on these mission trips. One of the things for our youth, when you do NYC, a big part of NYC is you're doing hands-on missions. They send you into that city to do works for Christ. You have an opportunity to do a project. And Pastor Mike and I, we shared before that we had volunteered in Toronto in 1999 and we had three teams that we took out before we entered into all the worship and the teaching that we helped them to do hands-on ministry in Toronto. So much so it hit the news. So much so they would get up, actually the mayor and others got up and thanked 10,000 young people for all that they did in the city as they went to NYC 99. And so I just want to encourage our young people. God is going to want to use you, and we've seen our young people do many wonderful things already. But what's going to happen is God is going to stretch us and push us out of what feels comfortable. That's how you know you're going to depend upon God. So what is needed from us? How do you say love? How do you spell it? T I M E. I say that a lot to couples that are getting into marriage preparations. That if you, it's one thing to say platitudes, it's one thing to go get a card, it's another thing to say, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if you never spend T I M E together, what kind of love is it? And so it's one thing for us to say, oh, I love West Prince, and oh, I, I love people, you know, in the name of Jesus, but I don't have the time to serve or to do mission, then we really don't love them. It will also, my friends, require for you to be vulnerable. And I'm sure, Edward, you felt very vulnerable the first time you went to Haiti and probably every time you go. It, it strips away our pride. It, it strips away that I've got it all together and I've got it all figured out. <laughs> we begin to realize that we don't. And it means that I don't have all the answers and I don't have it all together, but I am willing to be in the hands of God and to be used by God to make a difference in the life of someone else. 
And so that means I'm making myself vulnerable. It means also that I'm, I'm willing to learn. I, I, I know a little bit of Spanish now that I didn't know before because I wanted to learn Spanish so I could speak to my Cuban brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's interesting because often when we pray on uh, Saturday nights, there is several pastors from Cuba who will be writing comments in Spanish and asking us to pray for them on the spot. And I'm having to kind of cipher that out a bit. What are they asking for prayer? Praise God for translation on Facebook. And, and you know, it means that I'm vulnerable enough that I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to say, God, I don't have it all together. And I like what this statement says. Risk-taking mission and service changes us. Now, that, doesn't, that, that could be Cuba and Haiti and Rwanda, or that could be right next door. We turn our suspicion into curiosity. You know, what would happen in West Prince if all those from away, instead of being suspicious of them, we became curious and wanted to know them and know where they're from and hear their story and find out why they're here in West Prince? What would change in West Prince if we became curious? If we turned our hesitation into hopefulness, if we turned our self-protection into self-disclosure. And so we realize that if God is going to use us and God is going to change us, we have to be willing. And you know the other one that we see there? We have to give up control. We had a friend that we went to, uh, had in a church, a country church that we pastored, and he had gone on a mission trip, and he came back and he said, Pastor, I support missions, but mission trips are not for me. He said, I couldn't handle it. I said, what do you mean? Now, when you went into his barn, his chicken farm, everything was pristine and everything was perfect. He didn't even ever have dirty overalls. I couldn't understand how you could be a chicken farmer and never have dirty overalls. That's the kind of person he is. And so he goes on a mission trip, and he expects the mission trip to be like that. They were supposed to build a church, and there were no nails. He says, well, we were coming. Why aren't there nails if there's supposed to be nails? And so they realized it took four days for the nails to erupt. He wasn't so keen on that. He's the type of person, like all his ducks are in a row while all his chickens are in a row. And, and, and nails should have been there. You shouldn't have to wait four days for nails. And then he said, Pastor, <clears throat> oh, the food. I couldn't handle, he said, the food. It just wasn't for me. He never had eaten spicy food. This was spicy hot food. And so he didn't do so well on his mission trip. And we understand that. When we're talking about mission and service, it's not all, not everyone can go. It's, it's here and there. But why do I say that? Well, he wanted to go in, and his team were going in, and they expected everything to be perfect, a la Canada. And it wasn't. It was messy. And they don't do things. Edward's laughing. They don't do things like we do it in Canada. That's the whole point. You're the outsider. You're the one from away going there to minister to them. And so you've got to release control. You've got to release that you need to be in power. You've got to release the idea that, hey, I'm the big Christian here coming to do things for you. No, what missions is really about is we come alongside people and we do it with them. Not for them, but with them. And that's what opens up the opportunity. And we see that it begins to change 
us. And so I want to tell you today, maybe you're saying, Pastor, I, I'd like to be involved in mission, but I'm not going to go on a mission trip. Well, I want to say to you that every act of service that we do or mission always takes people, even right here at home. Maybe you have the financial resources, and we almost saw $1,500 raised last week for our kids to go to NYC, and I think that's something that deserves an applause. Good job. Maybe you're a person who can help management. Maybe you're a person who loves to cook or serve. Maybe you're a person who does graphic design, printing, media, marketing. Maybe you're a person that's just great at setting up. Hallelujah for the setup teams and praise God for the cleanup teams. <laughs> for those who will pray for an event, those who plan events, purchase supplies. You know how much time that takes? Offer transportation. I know in years past, those who have offered transportation to drive people to camp and those kinds of things, or picking somebody up for an event or the church service, training others, encouraging, and my friends, the list will go on and on and on. It always takes one or two people to get the ball rolling, to have the vision, to say, this is what I think would be good for us to do, but it always takes a team to do that ministry together. And so we are all called to serve. You've heard me say that. Oh, there she goes again, Pastor Betty. We're all called to serve. Every one of us. Every one of us has a role in God's kingdom to fulfill. And I like what Ephesians 4, 11, 12 says, and you've heard this passage before. So Christ himself gave some to be apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. To do the work and to serve? That's not what it says. That's not biblical. What's biblical? Verse 12. To equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up. All of us have something we can do for God in his kingdom. There's something. And I want to challenge you today. Ask that question to him. Lord, what is it that you would have me do? I shared once before, but I was newly saved and uh, a stay-at-home mom at the time. And Pastor Mike at that time was working heavy construction and 14, 15 hours a day. And he wasn't saved yet. And I sat there as a new believer. No one had to get a list to get me to sign up. I knew within my spirit God had something for me to do. Pastor was blown away when I went up to who you know now as our national director, Pastor Ian Fitzpatrick, some of you know him. I said, Pastor, God's been speaking to me. What would you have me do? That's a great question for someone to come up to a pastor with. What would you like me to do, Pastor? <laughs> and so we both talked, and I was at home, and I couldn't get back and forth to the church at that time and, and different things. But what we found out is I did the card ministry of the church. I, I did the card ministry. I wrote cards out to people on behalf of the pastor. He would say, Betty, would you send so-and-so a card on my behalf? And I would write cards out on behalf of the church. And that was my ministry for the first few months. Before you knew it, Mike and I were leading the youth group. When Pastor Mike got saved, we were leading the youth group and doing other ministries. But God knew what I needed at that time. And he found the very perfect ministry for me. And I want to say to you today, it doesn't matter where you are in your life, it doesn't matter what you've done for years in the church and now you find yourself, you can't do those things anymore. There's always something 
that God would have us do as we go to serve Him. <clears throat> and so, I'm going to ask Paula to come. Risk-taking mission and service changes churches. When we're involved in missions, it changes us as a church. And so Paula is our head steward, and any of the other stewards that want to join her, just to do a little interview with them right now. And uh, thanks, guys. You going to share that, Mike, or you want to? No, that's fine. Okay. And so as our stewards, uh, COVID has put us in a bit of a mess. <laughs> no surprise there. But, you know, we were faced with the issues of the grieving. So what did, what did you guys start to do as stewards for those that were grieving? change and, and uh, has really, you know, empowered. I mean, we know what's happened with our ushers and ministry 
through COVID, but just in particular showing how we as a church are actively involved in meeting the needs of people in the community. And, and so I want to say to you, this is what makes a church alive. This is what gives us excitement about our faith. This is what says people say there's, there's compassion and kindness at that church at the corner. You know, we have to ask ourselves sometimes, what would people say of our church in the community? What do they think of us? And so that reality of, of showing them that we are the hands and the feet of Jesus, that people in their darkest hour, in their worst moment, in their lowest of the low, and we know how powerful Pastor Sheila's counseling ministry is, that the church is a place where they care, where they love, where they show in tangible ways the love of Jesus. We don't have time today to tell all the stories. That's just two little snippets that you could see of what is going on. And so I want to challenge you today, as the Church of Jesus Christ, especially as we're coming out of COVID and still in it somewhat, we're not here to entertain. Sorry. If you think that your Christian walk or coming to church or what we're doing is we're here to entertain you, then you are gravely mistaken. We are here to empower you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are here to equip you, to pray for you, to come alongside of you, and to see you go and make disciples of all nations. And so we see when the church uses all their resources for their own needs and survival and turn inward, we see that the vitality wanes in the church and the mission of Christ is held back. But a project done in the love of Jesus can make a difference. And it doesn't just change the lives of others. It actually changed the dynamic of the church. Because I don't know about you, but there is nothing like God using us. I don't know if you had that experience, but realizing that somebody has been brought closer to Jesus because you've been obedient and you've done something. The smallest thing that others would think is so insignificant that it can make all the difference in somebody's life. Uh, pastoring a church in Ontario, we found out that the uh, missionary who was at that time over Quebec, the Montreal District Centre, was in ill repair and they needed work done. And so the missionaries had shared at our church and we kind of all looked at each other and the missionary shared and we gave an offering and we prayed. But something percolated in us and we said we should be doing something for the district center in Montreal. And so we picked a weekend and we rented two vans and 14 of us got in those vans and drove the six hours to Montreal. And we spent the weekend painting and sorting and fixing up. And we went to church on the Sunday morning there in, in Montreal, the English speaking congregation. And we came home. I want to tell you, it changed us. We did a very practical thing that took two days. But what happened was uh, there were people there, 14 and 74, working together. And it united us. And when we came back to the church, we had a, a vitality in our relationship that wasn't there before because we went out and did something hands-on together. And I'll tell you, it might be even putting on a roof for somebody or it's putting in their wood. But when you start to do those kinds of things, it begins to build life in us. Service and mission is what keeps the church alive and vital and moves us from an inward focus. Jesus exemplified a lifestyle of service. 
He showed love to the poor, the sick, the outcast, and the vulnerable. Jesus touched and healed. He released the paralyzed. He ate with the tax collectors and sinners. He risked violence of the mob when he stepped in to intervene for that woman that was accused of adultery. And Jesus has always reached out to the least and the lost and the left out. And I am challenging us today that as the church of Jesus Christ, should we do anything less? Out on the corner of this church, it says that it was dedicated to the glory of God. Now we're talking the building. But the truth of it is, us as the church, if Jesus' life was about that and his ministry was about that, how can we as the church do anything less than be about service and mission and caring for those? Not just caring for ourselves, but caring for those. And I want to say that, you know, the amazing thing is risk-taking mission and service changes people's lives. It is the inroad into people's lives. Remember when we started the series, we talked about the attractional model, and we still do the attractional. Come to church. Come to VBS. Come to this and come to that. That's important. But we are living in a day that that used to work, but it doesn't work anymore. And so the church needs to do what we've always been called to do. We need to also go and do. And it is the going and doing often that we have a right into somebody's life because we've done something small or we've shown some care and concern or had a baby shower for a young single mom. It's those kinds of things that gets us in the door with people that we can share life together with them, that they too might be changed and transformed by their faith in Christ. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whenever you've done it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it for me. There's the motivation right there. I want to show Jesus how much I love him. Well, Jesus would say, go, go, and, go and care for this one. Pick up the phone and call that one. Drive someone over here that needs a drive. Jesus would say, you want to show me your love? I'll show you ways that you can show me that you love me. And so we realize today that this passage of Scripture we continue to look at, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whenever you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it for me. 1979, now it's 1984. It's five years and a bit since that baby shower. And I found myself at an altar of prayer accepting Christ. In the same church. With the same ladies gathered around me praying for me. And encouraging me in my new faith. Maud, this is the interesting thing. Maud was the one who at that time... Uh, held the shower in her home for me, a complete stranger to me, is actually the person who would show up at my house in the evenings in the middle of winter and teach me how to drive. Because he I had no did. patience. Pastor Mike had no patience. <laughs> not for you driving. And Pastor Mike was not yet a believer, but she was the one who prayed with me that Mike would come to faith. And several months later, he did. And she was the one that, on a Sunday night, when I had a husband that didn't want anything to do with church, she would drive me, and we would go to churches on a Sunday night and, and, and worship, and she was mentoring me in my new faith. 
A baby shower changed my life. Now, Christ changed my life. But the baby shower was used by God. It was five years later. They did it because it was the right thing to do. They never knew what fruit was going to come from it. They never knew that we would come back to their church. They weren't looking for applause or recognition. They were being obedient to what God was telling them to do. The mission that God had called them to do. The service that they were doing. My friends, in every page of scripture, God shows people serving God by serving others. I love this statement. Through service, people find faith, and through faith, people find service. And so today, we looked at the fact that Jesus, when he was about to begin his ministry, stood up in the synagogue and even quoted scripture and said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? The poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It was all and has always been about lives being changed and transformed that the kingdom of God might advance. And so as I bring this to a close today, we go back to our passage of Scripture. Our passage of Scripture, chapter 25 of Matthew, verses 31 to 46, challenges us to be out of his business, to be at service and mission before it's too late. See, the Lord is teaching here on his final judgment, and he challenges every disciple of Jesus to be about bringing God's kingdom into a broken and hurting world, to be on his mission, seeking the lost and the left out and the broken of our society. And in this passage, the Son of Man has arrived with all of his angels and is now seated on his throne, not as the crucified Lord, but as the King of kings yes. and the Lord of lords. And all, all nations of the world have gathered before him, and they behold his majesty. But like our good shepherd, Jesus now separates his flock from the sheep, from the goats that are grazing in the same pasture. And the sheep receive a place of honor and inherit God's kingdom. And Jesus calls the sheep, those who are blessed by my Father. Oh, we love that. We all love that message. But look what he says after that. Who are the blessed ones of his father? They are the ones who do not retaliate with violence, but bear witness to a new empire, his kingdom, by serving other people. They have been about his risk-taking mission. They have been busy for the kingdom. The righteous ones perform these deeds with no idea that they were doing them to Jesus himself. And Jesus says that whatever they gave, food to the hungry and welcomed the stranger or clothed the naked or visited the sick or in prison, these acts of kindness were to Jesus himself. On the other hand, there are those who have failed to see the needs of the disadvantaged, have acted as though they have never seen Jesus, he says. They have not followed Christ's footsteps or even his commandments and what he has asked them to do. They have not continued to do the work of the master as he called them to do. They never really truly displayed his kingdom or who their king is. And we know how the story ends. Do you know there is a picture that 
I've been struggling with this week. And it's the picture of the Good Samaritan. And uh, as, as I think of that picture of the Good Samaritan, that parable, that's to be used in so many ways. I've prayed through it and I use it even for prayer when people feel that they're the broken one on the side of the road. But I, I, I was thinking this week about the religious in that story. And how this man, at no doing of his own, didn't deserve it, didn't matter if he did, was on the side of the road, broken and bruised, beaten. And the religious at that time decided that they weren't going to be bothered with that need and walked the other side of the road. Not just one, but two. And I'm sure they probably thought, isn't that terrible? Isn't that awful? Someone should do something about that. Someone should do something about that. You know, we hear a lot of that in the church. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that awful? Someone should do something about that. We know the rest of the parable was the Good Samaritan who they did not even think would do that. But I don't go into it for that reason. Not my problem. Somebody else should do something about that. We started off with that song, and I thought it fit with this statement. If not you, then who? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. If not you, then who? And if not now, then when? I want to challenge you today. God wants to use you and use this church to transform lives. It's what he's always been about. It's what he always will be about and his kingdom is about. It's for us to see lives, destinies, homes, bodies, <laughs> relationships, change and transform by the power of his love and his Grace. I have a very practical thing, and you, you know, you might can just brush this off, and that's between you and the Lord. I feel that I have done what I've been called to do today. But, you know, there's a lot of needs in our community, and our, our stewards can only do so much. NMI is really about global missions. And so we have said this, and we've had this discussion in some of our meetings. You know, we'd love to find that team in our in our church that have their ear to the road and know of needs and concerns locally or different ways that we could get involved. And so, you know, we're, we're calling it kind of the outreach team. And uh, I have that on the back table where the other sheets are right behind Derwin there, right in that back, behind that back pew. And maybe that would be out for a while and maybe you would pray about it and, and you would say, Pastor, you know, I'm not going to go probably on a mission trip Overseas, but I'm a person in the community and I see things and I'd like to be actively involved in finding a way to come alongside as a church and encourage people and help people. And so if that's you, I'm going to challenge you to sign up and to do something practical. We could make an altar call. If you feel that you want to say, Lord, here I am, send me. I know missionaries have been called in services like this. And you would say, Lord, I want to do missions. I want to do short-term missions. Amen to it as we sing this closing song.
But I think God is wanting us to put some feet to this in the days ahead. Because it's great to have good intentions, but good intentions don't change people's lives. It's when we act upon what we know, what the Spirit is telling you to do. And remember, all of us have something we can do. Lord, we surrender this service to you for your purposes. Whenever we do a mission service, I've done mission services for years, there's always an uneasiness in your church. There's an uncomfortableness in your church. Some will get up and walk out, Lord, as we've seen today, for one reason or another. Some have appointments, that's understandable. But God, it makes us uneasy. I ask today, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us, if any of us feel uneasy today in this message, search our hearts, O oh God, and see. If all is good, we have nothing to worry about. But Lord, if somehow we have stepped back, and COVID has caused this for the church, that we have stepped back and we want to sit in the corner and we want to cover ourselves and we want the storm to pass by and we don't want anybody to cause anything and any issues and, and we're just waiting, Lord, for all this to pass. God, we've missed the point of what's happening in this day and the revival that you're wanting to bring in these last days and the souls and the lives that you want to touch and change and transform. And people are tired of platitudes. People have heard the Christian needs. What they're wanting right now is the sense that somebody cares enough to see me. Somebody cares enough to sit down and have a coffee with me. Somebody cares enough to offer to drive me where I need to go. Somebody cares enough to bring a meal to my door. Somebody loves me enough to care and bring uh, supplies to me, even on a third world country, and to lift my burden and my concerns and needs. God, there's so many needs. It's just overwhelming. But I know that in my own heart over the years, I've just had to pray and that you would show me what you would have me do. And Lord, it is not a weight. It is a wing. It is a blessing to be used by you, O oh God. I don't have to. I get to. And so God, help us in the days to come. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, yes, I pray. In Jesus' name.